well. Hello again. Glad y'all are here. Glad you're back. Hope you're back. As we uh, as we take this journey, it's really good to see you again, as I say each and every time. And I'm hoping that, that what we're doing is producing for you, I, I don't know, maybe just a greater insight into this one we call Jesus and maybe understanding some things about him in such a way that will indeed make a difference for you day in and day out. I know it does for me. And so I, that's what I'm hoping. And that's why we're, this is not an all-inclusive study of Jesus's ministry. <clears throat> we're, like I told you from the get-go, we're skipping a rock, okay? Catch a few highlights along the way. And as we get closer to the end of the ministry, we'll see a lot more specifics there. But I do want to to say again that I want you to glimpse or to grasp what's taking place all along the way. And that's this this frustration that I believe he feels. Uh, hang on, I'm going to set my set my timer. That uh, that I do believe he feels over the course of the three years of his ministry, and how. To me, it seems to be building all along the way. Okay? Alright. We saw the first scene. This was when he went to his hometown. And they basically kicked him out. They didn't want anything to do with him. That's frustrating. Now, the second phase of this that we talked about was the the Pharisees and the the, uh, uh, chief priests and teachers of the law and the they they were out to get him from the get-go. And so here you've got the religious leaders of his people, of the Jews. And instead of recognizing him for who he was, they're, they're out to get him. And I, I tell you what you do sometimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Go through and pick out all the times when the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, the scribes, how many times they try to trap him with a question he cannot answer. It's over and over again. Or an accusation. Over and over and over. And it's amazing the way Jesus deals with them every single time. It's, it seems to be with great patience. <clears throat> and uh, of course, he handles anything and everything they throw at him in such amazing ways. So go through and look at those, but you'll see that there's a lot of them, and it's it's continual throughout his ministry. And I'm telling you, by by the time it gets to the end, he's done with them. He is, he is, and basically just unloads on them and lets them have it. Doesn't sound like the character of Jesus, but you know what? He did it, and therefore it tells us there's a time and a place for something like that to take place. Depending on circumstances. Okay? Now, here's the next phase I want, I want us to look at concerning this, this building frustration. His own disciples. Okay? The guys that he handpicked from the very beginning. God love them. Okay? And, and good-hearted guys for, you know, most of them. And, uh, and they followed, they stayed with him all these times through these three years. They just didn't get it as to what was going on and what was going to happen. And that's in spite of the fact that Jesus told them. He told them clearly 
what was going on, why they were going to Jerusalem that last time. Told them clearly, and I want us to look at a few of these to get a to get a glimpse of it. Okay, turn uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter sixteen. Matthew chapter 16. Excuse me. Okay, go to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Sorry. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. You can't get any clearer than that. He tells them specifically what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. Great details. Now, Peter, and you've got to love Peter. I mean, he's got his problems. I know tough stuff coming. But great things coming too. But you've got to love him. He means well. Peter took them aside and began to rebuke him. Did you hear that? He's rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, and he loved that word, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I mean, Jesus is trying to get him to understand. By the way, I'm going to throw something in for free right here. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus turned, to, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, let's think about that for a second. Get behind me, Satan. Isn't that, isn't that a little radical? Kind of, kind of strong there, huh? Why would you... Oh, by the way, I don't believe Jesus said it in this tone of voice. Get behind me, Satan. I don't buy it for a minute. I think this was forceful. It was, it was aggressive, if you will. Get behind me, Satan. Why would Jesus react like that to what Peter said? Well, think about what he said. Jesus just told him. We're going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. Right down to the point of dying and being raised from the dead. And Peter says, never, Lord. You, let me tell you something. The idea of this happening to Jesus, this was hard for Jesus. This was hard. This was hard stuff. He was not looking forward to that. As a matter of fact, this was what Peter said this will never happen to you, Lord. This was tempting to Jesus. Could he have not walked away any time he wanted? Absolutely. He could have called 10,000 angels. Any time he could have said, no, not doing it. Didn't do that. Thank you, Jesus. But he could have. And this was tempting. Why? Because what he knew was coming, it was hard. It was going to be really hard. That's why when Peter says, this will never happen to you, he reacts so violently, if you will. Get behind me, Satan. Look at his next words. You're a stumbling block to me. Ooh, there, that proves it. You're, you're going to cause me to stumble. I'm going through with this. Get out of my way. Boy, that is powerful. That's just one spot. Okay? Look at Matthew chapter 20. Turn to Matthew 20. <clears throat> Matthew 
Matthew 20, verse 17, 17 through 19. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and, and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. You just can't get any plainer than that, can you? Clear as a bell, right? No question. This is exactly what's going to happen. Turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18.31. Look at 18.31. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them. Now this is just to the twelve. You ready? Took the twelve aside and told them. We are going up to Jerusalem... And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. Look what it says next. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. Are you kidding me? How much clearer can he be? You think that's not frustrating for Jesus? His chosen group. And he's telling them over and again, Okay, okay guys, here's what's going to happen. Here's what and they... They just don't get it. I think it's frustrating. And look, just to make it even clearer, to show their lack of understanding on this, uh, on this deal, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Just, just to make the point even more solidified, okay? Luke 24, this is after, or at, at, at the point of the resurrection, okay? <clears throat> after This is after. He's just risen. Because at the beginning of 24, this is when the women show up at the tomb. The women show up, it's empty, they're told, he's risen. I mean, this is an amazing thing. They run back to tell the disciples. Look at verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, you ready? They told all these things to the eleven. Wait, wait. I'll tell you what let's do. Go to the beginning of 24 so we'll see what they told them. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. I believe they were angels. Look at Matthew's account. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? 
The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered the words. That's the women. Now watch. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. Listen. Because their words seemed like nonsense. Hear that? They didn't believe it. Why? Because the words seemed like nonsense. They didn't get it. Jesus told them over and over specifically. When it happened, they didn't believe it. Just saying. This, I believe, was frustrating to him. Okay, now we'll come to another scene, that, a scene you're familiar with, with their frustrations. I mean, with, with his frustrations concerning them. But let's go back. This is just a progression over time. I just want you to understand this is building and building and building within Jesus. Now, Matthew chapter 21. This is an exciting time. This is the triumphal entry. This when Jesus, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem for his last time while he's alive. He comes into Jerusalem, and oh man, the people are so excited. Look, they I think they believe this is their Messiah. They're crying out, Hosanna, Son of David, save us, Son of David. So they're 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 recognizing who this is. Unfortunately, their concept of a Messiah is it's not correct. They're looking for a great leader who will draw their sword, his sword right in on a white horse and lead them back to victory and, and restore the Jews to power. So, but at this time, they're thinking this is him. So they're celebrating. They're, on the, they're lining the streets. They're waving palm leaves. They're laying some on the ground. And they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David. It's a glorious time, a celebratory time. <clears throat> Unfortunately, in just a few short days, those people are going to be shouting again. But instead of shouting, Hosanna, save us, son of David, they're shouting, crucify. Crucify. What in the world? What in the world happened in just a few short days? To change from Hosanna, son of David, to crucify him. We'll read it, okay? We'll read why that change. It'll make you sick to your stomach. It does me, still. And look, I know this is all necessary for our Savior to do His saving work. But this one, oh, this one gets to me. Okay, so anyway... He's coming to Jerusalem for the last time while he's alive. And it's a great celebration. They're there to celebrate the Passover feast. Okay? So it's a great time for, uh, for the Jews. Now then, go on over to Matthew chapter 22. I want us to see, oh boy, this is one of my favorite scenes. I, I guess I say that a lot. I have a lot of favorites. All right? 
But this is one of my favorites. And I'll tell you what it shows us. It shows that Jesus is done with the Pharisees. His patience. Oh, look, God is very, very patient. Jesus, Holy Spirit, they're very, very patient. But what we have to understand is there is a limit to God's patience, right? You ever heard of a flood? There's a limit to God's patience. And I think we'll see it here in Jesus. Now, the first thing that happens, all these times that the Pharisees, uh, chief priests and, and, and uh, teachers of the law, all these times they've tried to hit him with something that he couldn't answer, and he thwarts them every time. This time, Jesus initiates it. He's done, y'all. So the first thing he's going to do, he's going to ask a question. Ready? Now watch this. Matthew chapter 22. Look at verse 41. Are we in Matthew 22? Verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. So he's directly asking them the question, the Pharisees. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, the son of David, they replied. That's an automatic for them. He's the son of David. Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him, Messiah, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. The Lord said to my Lord. He's calling the Messiah my Lord. Okay. The Lord said to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now watch this. If, da- if then David calls him Lord. How could he be his son? They've just said the Messiah is the son of David. But then Jesus says, well, David calls this one Lord. If he calls him Lord, how can he be his son? Oh, this response. I absolutely love this. Watch. Verse 46. No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Oh, man. I absolutely love that. Hey, I, I ain't asking him nothing else. I mean, he just stumped them just like that. And they said, Whew, that's it. I'm done. I'm not asking him any more questions. I, I just love that. And look, Jesus sought them out. He pointedly asked them something he knew they couldn't come up with an answer for. And he laid it to them. And I think in preparation for what he's about to say. Because in Matthew 23, we have what are called... The seven woes. Now you understand the word woe. That's W-O-E. That's not W-O-A-H, which is what you say to your horse before he goes over the cliff. That's not that kind of woe. Woe. No. You know, woe means something bad's coming. Something ominous is coming. Bad is coming. And, Gen- and Jesus pronounces seven woes on the Pharisees. I think they were right there to hear them for two reasons. One, he just spoke to them directly with that question. And now when he directs these, 
He says, what he says, he says, woe to you, Pharisees and teachers of the law. He doesn't say woe to them. He says, woe to you. He's talking to them. Now, at the first part of 23, he tells the people, hey, look, the Pharisees, yeah, they sit in a position of authority. So you have to, you, you know, you, you have to do what they say. But you know what he says? Don't you be like them. Why? Because they do not practice what they preach. He calls them out as hypocrites right there in front of all the people. Okay? And then he goes directly to them. And I'm convinced, again, his frustrations have, are reaching a boiling point And it just spews out on them. He lets them have it. Think about, we're going to go through this. Think about the things that he says. These don't seem like typical things. That, that Jesus would say. He's done. He's going to. He's going to lay some truth in their lap. Okay. Look at verse 13. It's where they start. Woe to you. Teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. See that. He is calling them out. And by the way, I don't think this is like, uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. No, sir. No, sir. And I think through these seven woes, it builds and builds. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Listen, you yourselves do not enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What, what did that just say? You ain't, you're out. You're out. He makes it clearer in the next one. Listen. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You get it? You hypocrites. You're going to hell and you're taking people with you. Doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? He's done. He's done. Verse 16. Woe to you blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, oh, he's bound by his oath. You blind men. Which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Look, they've got everything backwards. And you, we saw that from the very get-go, even in the Sermon on the Mount. Trying to make everything look right on the outside, but being dead men on the inside. They, they've got everything backwards. Look at, look at, verse, look at the next ones in verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. How, how many times are you going to say that? You give a tenth of your spices, mint, gall, and cumin, which 
They, they were supposed to do that. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You're missing the most important things. And by the way, let's go ahead and, and, and give a sidelight report here. Okay, this is free. But Jesus makes it really clear. Look, everything in the Bible is important. But not everything carries the same level of importance. Not everything is as important as other things. Right here he says so. You give a tenth of your spices, you're supposed to do that. But you have neglected, you ready, the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Those are more important than giving a tenth. Okay. Some things are just more important than other things. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that when we get on into the establishment of the church. And Paul's words talking about the gospel, it's of first importance, right? 1 Corinthians 15. It's of first. The most important thing is the gospel. Well, Jesus has already shown us here some things are more important than others. Well, the gospel is the most important. So just, just remember that. All right. Next one. In verse 20, 25. Yes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. You hear that? First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Remember? Get your heart right. That'll take care of the outside. They missed it. Verse 27. Here we go again. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. That's painted white on the outside. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the, on the outside you appear to people as righteous but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, oh, if we had lived in, that day of, in the day of our forefathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You feel this building up? Building up? Verse 33. You snakes! You brood of vipers! How will you escape being condemned to hell? Now watch. Verse 34. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and gogs and pursue from town to town. Now, get this. Get this, guys. Here's the culmination of it. And, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel... To the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, 
All this will come upon this generation. Guys, you just can't take it anymore. He's had it with them. And he just lets them have it. You know, I don't, I don't like the thought of Jesus being in that frame of mind. And it gets worse. Sorry. It gets worse in the next verse, the next few verses, of what I, what I, what I hate for him to be feeling. Now, now he's talking to the Jews, just all of them. He refers to Jerusalem, but it's the people. You can, you'll see that. Verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Protective, let me see. But you were not willing. And if he's not weeping, he's close. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He finishes this discourse with this crying out to, to Jerusalem, to the Jews, I've wanted so badly for you to run to me, just like chicks do to their mother hen. And she gathers them together under her wings. But they're not willing. Then he says, he makes an interesting statement. Your house is left to you desolate. It's a wiping out of. It's gone. And so that leads us to something in chapter 24. Okay, so I'm going to stop right there. I think our, our, our 30 minute window, I've, I've extended to 30, is about up. And we're going to look at some challenging things next in chapter 24 that I believe is misused oftentimes to, to, to depict something that it's not talking about. Okay, so we're going to dig into that and, uh, and take a look at it. And see. Alright? Frustration has built and built and built. Okay? It's going to get worse before it finally gets better. Alright? So, you guys uh, have a great have a great week. I'm probably going to teach this lesson back to back. But, you know, it's a week for y'all. Not for me. But we're going to go ahead and stop. And, and we'll pick up right there. Right where we left off next time.